0: That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part.
1: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. What's up? We're on a Thursday night again. Thursday night.
1: Thursday night. Back to the old time slot, not the new time slot. It's been a week for us here in Richmond, man. Snow all over the place. Kids not in school. Us trying to work from home. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) <laughs> With kids not in school,
0: <laughs> they pushed us back until uh, at least the seventeenth before we are, can go back in the office. So. Oh wow!
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Well, so, I'm going to be here for a while. We have not been given the official date yet, but needless to say, the week after the holidays, which was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, I know me and you talked numerous times, texting back and forth. Um, yep. Got to say. Your son's uh, Rainbow Road sweet. Yeah, I've been having
0: just as much fun as he has with that. Um, any, anybody that's got kids of a certain age, get that Hot Wheels Rainbow Road. It is the shit.
1: All right, I'm going to give you all another suggestion. Kids of a certain age. When we say a certain age, I'm going to say 5 to 10, 11, maybe even 12. Nintendo Switch, Hot Wheels Unleashed. Dude, that game is sweet. I mean, sweet. Like, A, if you're like us, we have probably three or 400 Hot Wheels cars in this house. You've seen. It feels like you go into this race and you notice and can identify every single car that's on there. And you can customize the cars. And you can build tracks, and you can customize it's 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 like so sweet. like I sat here one day and we were playing like four and a half hours went by. <laughs> like oops, but ah, uh, but the holidays were a lot of fun. This week's been kind of crazy with all the snow what six, six and a half inches here in Richmond.
0: yeah, we um, had about five on this side. I know y'all had about another inch or two
1: more than we did, yeah. so. Just lots of crazy stuff, man. And I tell you, it's been two, a well, over two weeks since we were last recorded. And we have a ton to unload tonight in all aspects of Hokie football. But we're going to start with a couple Hokie headlines, not related to football. And Brian, I didn't get to watch this last night, following, tried to follow it. But an ugly loss to a winless conference, eight and seven NC State Wolfback Hokies fall 68 63. I know you got to watch pieces of it. What what was, what seems to be the issue? I mean, you know, after that great St. Bonaventure win and battling Duke, it it seems like all the old stuff is back up.
0: Yeah. I mean, I blame a little bit of it on the layoff, but I mean, some of this isn't, isn't layoff related. Uh, You know, you can't miss point blank layups. You can't miss the easy ones. You can't miss that many free throws. Um, you know, Naheem just has not been himself the last probably seven or eight games. Uh, you can't hang with him that long if he's struggling. You got to get get somebody else out there. Um, you, you can't let someone that's struggling that badly with their shot get that many minutes. Um, yeah, I mean when you when you need mother. when you need points generated because other guys were were also not having their best night. Um, and then you got a guy that, that's struggling like that. You got to you got to do something different and mix it up. I think uh, Mike Young's problem right now is that he's being a little too, um, he's giving them a little too much leash uh, to try to get their shot back. Um, he was doing a little bit with Storm when he was struggling. He's doing it now with Naheem. Um, I think just a, a quicker hook and, and mixing things up a little bit more with the lineups um, could maybe generate some more offense, but it was also a game where NC State for about two stretches looked like they couldn't miss. No, um, I, I, so I, I, so that, that didn't help. That didn't help uh, at all.
1: Yeah, I saw people saying that there were a couple stretches, one in the first half and one in the second, essentially when they took the lead and kept it like five, six minutes where it's like every shot they take or they can't miss. And yeah. I know me and you talked about Naheem uh, yesterday. He shot 18% from the field. I mean, it's okay to let guys try to shoot their way out of the funk, but it comes to a point where it's detrimental to the team. And when you still shoot 40% or 43% from the field, and one guy shoots, you know, 18% and you're, it's a five point game. Like you said, maybe take putting somebody else in the other piece. And I don't, I don't think there's any way to fix this. Just based on how the team's constructed, they got murdered on the boards. Yeah, we were out out rebounded by
0: the offensive every... rebounds were were ridiculous. 14, um, yeah, 14, th- there, there there was a period where there was there was one offensive board on like five or six straight possessions for NC State. So it was it was it was pretty awful. Um, that that stretch was pretty awful to watch. Um, but you know, I, I still think this team has talent, but they've dropped so many games at this point where seeing a path to the NCAA tournament, is it's narrow at best.
1: Very narrow. narrow. It's going to have to be something like out of the next 12 games, and I'm trying to look here at the thing. Yeah, the next 12 games, which is basically almost the rest of the regular season. I mean, it's going to have to be 10. Yeah. Nine or ten wins. I,
0: I think what we're looking at is like I think what there's 16 left. I think they need to go 12 and four.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'd yeah, go there. Yeah, that's that, that's the pretty sport. much what they'd have to do. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll continue following it, and we have our and some of
0: those wins need to be quad one wins.
1: Um, so got to beat the upper echelons. <laughs> all right. Other news this week, not related. Well, related to football, but not related to football, was. John Lager, um, stepping away, Uh, he tweeted this out on the third. Hokies, this will come as a shock, and I hate that. As effective today, I'm stepping aside as voice of the Hokies. My lifelong passion has been sports casting, and representing you has been my joy and privilege of a lifetime. However, when my dad passed, I started to think about wanting to do more to help people, primarily through mental health advocacy. His dream over the last few months, that urge has grown. This is the hardest thing I've ever done, but I feel at peace knowing all that we can do. I'll be focusing on the mental health initiatives in the short term, but I will be back in the booth at some point soon. Know that I love you all and will always appreciate the faith you put in me and I respect you always treating me with. I'll always be a Hokie. Thanks for being there. And thanks always for being Hokies, please. Um, Kind of a shocker because he was in New York just a few days ago, calling the game, yeah, um, and it's kind of funny because some people have laser has grown on them, right? We hear that from people. Laser's grown on me. I think for me and you, he it was okay from it was great from day one. We were so used to him here in Richmond, yeah. That voice was already we we associated with it. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think that's the difference for for Richmond folks is that you know you you were already hearing that voice from time to time in your sphere, so. Uh, There wasn't that, that much jarring. I mean, you you know, you heard something, you know, it wasn't touchdown tech, but, but, you know, it was, it was, it was different, but we were familiar enough where it wasn't as jarring as it was for probably some of the, uh, the Roanoke folks, the Blacksburg folks, the other folks in the NRV that, you know, were, were full on Roth Roth. disciples.
1: (sighs) And don't get us wrong. Roth is a disciple. If you are a tech fan of our age, so many calls, whether you heard them on the radio or later, like watching the highlights and they play it. It's always Mike Vick's one, always a miracle in Morgantown. But for John, you know, the clear mountain there, it, it started coming and, you know, whatever's going on, you know. You know, laser is from every account anyone's ever had, laser's a great human being, great human being. And so hopefully, I mean, I don't know if this means he's going to come back to tech or if he's going to do other things, but for him, God bless him, whatever he and his wife decide to do. I know it looks like they're going to be going on a round the country road trip. Yeah. It sounds like
0: they're going to be hitting all the, all the points of interest throughout the country and throughout the country. probably doing some good shit around the, along the way. So good stuff. Uh, yeah, best of luck to him and on this next step. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to see him at least in, in Virginia. When everything settles down, if not, um, you know, back in Blacksburg. So, Absolutely. best of luck
1: to you, Lace. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Well, let's cut it off and let's jump straight into the football and let's talk about some of the new hires. And um, before we get into the big new hire, Brian, it's kind of been breaking the last couple of days. Two names have emerged as front runners for the wide receiver job: Mike Brown down at Cincinnati, played at Liberty from Charlottesville, so a Virginia native, and Tony Washington down at Coastal um, from High Point, North Carolina, played down at App State. Yep. These, these guys are like in their 30s. Both have NFL experience. They both were in the league about three years. Uh, Brown had some significant playing time. Washington hung around a few good practice broad rosters. I. And we're only mentioning these guys' names because this is stuff that came out in the public. Jason Stam, um, you know, who used to write for Rivals, writes for several other sources now. He has said it, and I can't remember who was who mentioned Tony Washington out. There, there was a
0: couple. There was a couple guys that mentioned Tony Washington. Okay. I can't remember right off the top though.
1: Um, I, I, I'm good for either one of these guys.
0: I'm good for either. I'd probably prefer Mike Brown. Um, it, it's probably like a like a sixty forty for me, Mike yeah. Brown, but yeah. I, I'd be happy either way here. Um, I think Mike's seen it done at a little bit higher level in mm-hmm. his current role. Yep. Um, I think that probably is probably a little bit more of the reason that I'm kind of leaning that way. The the mentorship he's had is a little bit more um official in my in my mind. Well, um, it's
1: true. I mean, back to back. I mean, back to back New Year's six bowls. Yeah. Back to back AAC titles. I mean, you know, we we're gonna discuss it a little later. His I mean he's got a guy who's a junior that is you know, sauce is getting heavy, heavy praise. And he's probably gonna be drafted in the first two days. Um and here's the here's the one thing I want to joke about, Brian. Watching, you know, watching some coastal games, definitely watching more Cincy. Our wide receivers are still going to run block good. Did you watch them it's but it's all the other stuff that yeah, <laughs> they do a lot better.
0: It's it's the stuff you expect wide receivers to do, not the stuff that is is the nice icing on the cake that we've been getting.
1: So w- w- whenever this breaks, which I think this is probably going to come to fruition probably probably before the next time we jump on Yeah, here. before before
0: you hear from us again, I, I'm more than likely we'll have a wide receiver coach that we can talk about. A little bit more, more in
1: depth. depth. All right. Brian, when it came out well, it was about two weeks ago about our potential offensive line coach.
0: Yeah, we, we were on watch like just before Christmas the holidays. Yeah. But it, but it was before
1: about before that is when the smoke started. Yep. Give me the first thought. Did you think this is bullshit? I'm not getting my hopes up. When I first heard Joe
0: Rudolph's name floated out there, I was like, well, that certainly would be nice. But that was kind of like, you know, when we were first talking about who who a good OC was, and we'd be like, well, if we get Joe Brady, that'd be great, right? Joe Rudolph was my Joe Brady of offensive line. (laughs) So that tells you where I landed on this, is that I'm ecstatic.
1: Oh, my God. So Joe (laughs) Brady – or, excuse me, Joe Rudolph – announced associate head coach, run game coordinator, offensive line. His track record in every sense speaks for itself. He played offensive line at Wisconsin while Barry Alvarez was beating up. He was part of that early 1990s Rose Bowl team. He then played in the NFL for five years, including with my 49ers back in 1997. After that took some time off and then got back into the coaching ranks in 2004 where he was with Ohio State as a GA, then doing some strength coaching. Moves over to Nebraska, goes back home to Wisconsin, coached tight ends then. Then we got to know him 2012-2014 to with Pitt, OC there with Paul Chris, um, tight ends coach. Then he goes back to Wisconsin where he was basically the – I guess secondary offensive coordinator in the O-line coach. Yep. And, man, over that time, his lines had blocked for Monte Ball, Monte Ball, Jonathan Taylor. I I mean, so many good running backs. He had a guy, won the Remington just a couple years ago. I mean, I don't know what to say, because this is one of those hires where – as fans, you sit here and it's just kind of like, we're gonna go get the Wisconsin offensive line coach. Or you're full of shit. You're full yeah. of shit.
0: I mean I the the, on, the only probably other, I mean the the only thing that would be higher than that would probably be okay. Well, you went and got Notre Dame's offensive line coach. I mean,
1: I mean, <laughs> is yes. that is,
0: is that really the only other coach that's probably in the Maybe. same realm in terms of prestige? maybe uh in terms of the, the, what they've done as a program the guys they put in the NFL um the the numbers that their running backs put up things like that i mean it's it's production cent- cent- central for running backs and you don't get running back production without good offensive line play no. um so you get joe rudolph he's getting the associate head coach tag he's getting the running game coordinator tag and he's coaching ol and i mean to me this is as good as it gets in terms of establishing what we want to do and getting our identity uh, back. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be the full-on ground and pound that you see at Wisconsin. I, yeah. th- we, I definitely think it's going to be more of that kind of a power RPO, smash mouth spread type type philosophies. Um, but having having a guy that can coach that zone, but also coach those gap techniques, um, so you You're get yeah, and he can recruit and he can recruit and just kind of already having a good understanding of what it means to you know, strategically set up an offense each week and things like that. He's not just been a, a position coach, um, so he's already got that coordinator experience where he's coming in, uh, partnering with what we believe is going to be Tyler Bowen. We haven't still got the official announcement, but I mean, everything's out there that that's the move. We just got to get uh, this Jacksonville season over with. We just got to get I, one
1: pin done. Y'all got to smash them Sunday and get to the playoffs. Yeah. And then, we're
0: we're going to end Tyler Bowen's NFL year. And then he's going to yeah, come yeah. to Blacksburg.
1: Exactly. Um, But just still, I think now and Brian's kind of, you've kind of already talked about the zone and the power schemes that Rudolph, they run both. I think, what you get to do for the next, what, about six weeks? Because we're aiming about six weeks from now. We're going to do a breakdown episode.
0: Yeah. Brian, you, like whether, Clinton, it's it's going to be either, uh, you're either going to see me doing that episode here with pretty much nothing on the walls behind me or at the new house with pretty much nothing on the walls yeah. behind me. So be
1: prepped. But either way, Brian gets to start looking at, you know, we already talked about Brad Glenn's stuff, Tyler Bowen's stuff. Rudolph stuff, probably looking at some Joe, Joe Moorhead tape where Bowen's kind of kind of cut his teeth. I mean, right now, and we don't have the wide receiver coach. We don't have the offensive coordinator in name yet. But let's just talk just a second about the staff in general. Let's go. I mean – So much experience. David Cunningham, shout out him. He continues to put the spreadsheet together. I think we've got like 200 years of experience. I'm joking, but we have a ton of experience at the Division I level. We have guys who are really good at what they've done. And I was told, Brian, right before we got on, you know, this isn't a buddy-buddy thing. Joe Rudolph and Brent Pry have no prior connection. They don't. You start looking like Brad Glenn. Yeah, he coached with Brent when they were super young, 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Same with Stu Holt. Chris Mark. These, these aren't
0: protege situations. This isn't a protege situation like no. it was with Cornelson and Fuente. Yeah. The
1: closest thing you can say as a protege would be Chris Mark. Yeah. That's a kid he coached 10 plus years ago at Vanderbilt. Um, and, but since in the coaching ranks, they've had. No connection to each other. Yeah. So it's a staff of guys that he knows, but I don't, I think, I mean, the the only one he's coached with significantly is Bowen in the last five years. Yeah. So you kind of sit here and it's one of those, I think Brent Pry has put together a very good staff, but I think if anyone starts slipping, I don't think Brent Pry has that connection where he won't ship up or shape up or ship out.
0: Yeah, I think that's the big thing is that, you know, he has, I mean, everybody's going to foster from relationships, especially as they're for, as a first-time head coach. Yeah, You're not going to start making calls to just random big names yeah. and be like, hey, you want to come here. That I mean, that that's a good way to miss on the guys you're aiming for and then other guys that you wanted are now getting jobs elsewhere. You, you target the guys that you've got relationships with that you feel like would work at the university that you're at want to come there and then you go seek them out and i think coach Pry has done a good job doing that yeah. uh, brad glenn is a great example i mean i think from a quarterback and passing game coordinator standpoint it's a good complement with what we have at oc and what we're what we now have at uh offensive line i think that those are those are going to be good compliments to one another um, you know, we're still waiting to hear on on wide receiver, uh, but I feel like both of those guys kind of fit that same mold of, you know, and, and I think, again, the focus on recruiting. So they the, the mold we're looking at, solid reputation as a on-field coach. Most of these guys are above average or better recruiters.
1: Yep, absolutely. And I'll tell you what else, Brian. Let's go to support staff because he's knocking it out of the ballpark there. You know, obviously got Dwight Galt on staff. There's a rumor Jarrett Ferguson was in Blacksburg today. He started uh, following
0: Galt, started following a couple other Hokie, uh, Hokies that he didn't have on uh, – Yeah. Hokie staffers yeah. that he didn't have uh, followed before. Yeah.
1: tea leaves leaves But over the time that we were gone, and I, if I can't pronounce the name right, Mike Villagrana is going to be the senior director of player personnel. He comes over from Marshall where he was essentially a GM – Um, and basically assembled their recruiting staff, the highest rated recruiting staff or recruiting in Marshall's history. Um, He had also been director of recruiting at Mississippi State with Leach and Moorhead. Um, He was with Pry up at Penn State from 15 to 17, Um, basically, in the recruiting department up there. So the way it seems to me is Mike's role is Mike's probably going to be heading recruiting in some way under a player personnel. Is that what you're getting from it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, what I liked about him right off the bat is that, you know, he, he brings the bona fides, but I mean, I've also seen him, he's pretty active on Twitter. Um, so he's using social media as a leveraging tool uh, pretty, pretty off the bat. Um, and he's, and he's interacting with fans. He's, uh, he's liked some, some posts from fans, retweeted some stuff. Um, so you like to see that from a, uh, you know, recruiting side off the field staff perspective. Uh, so, so that's a good start. And I thought that was going to be it in terms of kind of big, uh, big moves on the off the field stuff. And then we got the news. What a few days ago, just Michael Hazel, Michael
1: Hazel chief of staff, um, and this was a coup because essentially this guy had been doing the same thing for James Franklin for quite a few years. Um, obviously, with Pry fostering the relationship up there, he comes down here. He was the senior director of football operations up there, and down here, you know, he gets chief of staff. Like up there, he was looking at external operations, analytic facility projects. He was the liaison between football and the athletic department, um, marketing. So it sounds like he is gonna be the guy that is gonna essentially be John Balon. Yeah. All the tech heads, he's gonna be Brent Price, John Balon. And, you know, you know, had got his I'll tell you this right here. This is the one that he went to Elon. He got his MBA from Elon. He got a master's from Vandy. You don't just get to go get your master's from Vandy. <laughs> this guy seems smart, and it seems like he knows what he's doing. And and for a guy who's going to be the right hand of the coach, he needs to know everything. I mean, I'm I'm still a little bit shocked that he left the state.
0: Yeah, this is a big move. This is a big big time move to get a guy uh, from the program that you're leaving to to kind of follow you and. In terms of off the field, I can't really think of a better better fit um, because this is a guy that knows what it takes to recruit big time players to a similarly positioned university. Yep, and I think that that's something that we need. Yeah, understanding our landscape, understanding the benefits and limitations that Virginia Tech has to offer, and being able to sell that properly. I think that that's huge. And, and I I really don't know of a better off the field move. I I could, I I should say I couldn't picture a better off the field move situation than we've had recently, because it tells me that, you know, we're not that mom and pop recruiting and support staff operation anymore. These are big time moves that we haven't seen ever.
1: No, ever. And what said it back in with the spring about the stuff that was going to be happening, right? Yep. And it's happening. Um, Like you said, we're no longer mom and pop. It's starting to look like a modern day collegiate football program in putting all these guys in roles. And I, I don't, I think me and you probably can't wait. Probably most of us out there, you probably can't wait what's going to probably happen really in the next month as you start seeing the analyst, as you start seeing the recruiting and how it's shaped out. Um, obviously, me and Brian have thoughts of the way we like to see it. I'm just interested in how it develops, how Brent Pry puts it together and how he creates his model. All right, Brian, let's skip over this. We did have one more hokey essentially declare for the draft. Um Tay Daly transferred, although he did have a year of eligibility left. He's 23 years old. He, he had a pretty solid season, you know, good tape to put out there. He's got a Vanderbilt degree. He's probably got his master's from Tech in the next few weeks here. I mean, it stinks because, you, you know, now it's some very – we're very young back in the safety we had some guys play last ago, but we're young.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that we need to look into. Um, you know, Tay had a good season. Um, I wouldn't call it a great year. Um, but I mean, he played well in spots and there were certainly times where he was playing as good or better um than everybody else on the uh, on the field there, so um it's it's a loss certainly but we do have some young guys in that position that are coming in um uh, and, and and coming of age so look for them to make some uh make some noise this year but uh congrats to tay uh you know once a Hokie, always a hokey and you know go do
1: your thing yes sir best of luck to him and um all everything came in played great great teammate but you know so. That that probably is capping it, you know. Tanuta gone. Probably the one guy we think probably should come back, but um, the rest of them. Sometimes it's just time. Sometimes it's just time to go. A lot of these guys have their degrees. It's it's either now or never. You keep playing college. Eventually, you know. You're Terrell Smith. Love Terrell Smith, but not too many guys can go. You know, seven or eight years in college. And, you know, what we're going to jump into next here, um, we're going to look at the portal. And, you know, our buddy Brett over from Pick 6 Previews, we've already talked about it. Brett from Pick 6 Previews has been keeping real track with it. And, Brian, there have been 1,000 entries into the portal since August. That's a lot of people. (laughs) A lot of people in the portal. That's a ton of people in the portal. Where I feel for it is, I mean, there's a lot of guys declaring for the draft, leaving, going to be asked to leave just because they have their degree. There's going to be a lot of kids that don't have anywhere to land that don't have their degree. That were given bad advice. And that's what sucks because we were talking with our buddy, Robbie, the other day, and it's just like, it's free agency now. Free agency is great. You know what happens a lot of times to guys who go in free agency; they never get signed again. They never play again. That's my fear. There's gonna be kids out there in it that just are never gonna find a place to play.
0: Yeah, that's the concern. Um, you know, and obviously we saw this coming. Uh, the transfer portal is free agency for good or ill, and I think it's more or less. I mean, it does give players freedom, which I'm all for. But obviously, with freedom comes risk. Um, so you know, you take the safety net away a little bit as well, um, in, in exchange for the fact that, hey, you can pack up and move when the when the mood strikes you, when the when you feel it is in your best interest. Um, but again, you, you're you're doing that with much less of a safety net than you were before, because you, you can do that before you have your degree. Um, you, you know, you don't have to to think about the decision because you don't have to sit a year. So there's not that, um, there's less of a impetus to kind of step out there and see what's out there. Because if something is out there that, that does strike your fancy, you know, you can make the move at any time. Um, so I, I, you know, we'll see how this continues to shake out, but let's go ahead and while we're talking about the, the portal, let's talk about some of the positions that we are targeting. Um, and, you know, we had, we had talked about this, I think, a couple episodes ago where we really need to, to focus. We said quarterback was number one. We said probably defensive line was number two. Offensive line and wide receiver are probably 3A and 3B.
1: And, 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 and the top-notch 1-1 one, one that we needed to get taken care of, 6 p.m. tonight, Brian – you saw it I saw it Hokey Nation saw it that that we can erase that now. go ahead Mark to scribble through it. QB room is now significantly better with the commitments of Jason Brown coming from South Carolina and Grant Wells coming over from Marshall um who do you want to talk about first Brian Jason or Grant? let's start with Jason. all right Jason first of all he's coming home. This is a Fredericksburg kid, played with Taiwan Garbutt, spent some of his early years up at um, FCS St. Francis, where he was a starting quarterback in 2019. Threw for over 3,000 yards, 62% completion percentage, 28 touchdowns, six interceptions. When the 2020 season canceled, he decided to transfer over to South Carolina. Um, where he started four games this year, went two and two, including beating Auburn and Florida. 720 yards there, eight touchdowns, six interceptions, 6'3, six, 230 pound guy. So, well built, older guy. Um, do you think he is in the lead as we sit here? As they just dropped their commitments to come to tech? That's hard to say. I feel like.
0: So we'll talk about Grant in a second. I feel like Jason is that guy that gives you kind of a high floor at the quarterback position. Um, He does a lot of things pretty well. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Um, He may not win you a ton of games, but he's a guy that can go out there, manage the game, make all the throws, won't hurt you um and and usually you're going to go home with the w there so that's what i like about him obviously being a hometown kid uh wanting to play for tech when he was in high school um you know finally getting uh you know the uh the, the come around here for uh for a chance to to be a Hokie. so that's big and i i'm happy to have him i feel like already that's That's an upgrade to the quarterback room, even for the 2021 campaign, let alone what we thought we might be working with in 22. And then at the same time, we got Grant Wells with the commitment. And I feel like he's the, he's the higher, uh, higher ceiling guy. Um, He's had a little bit more recent uh, playing time, playing uh, G5 opponents, playing power, you know, some power five opponents on that schedule did well. The only thing I'd like to see him clean up is the interceptions, but uh, efficient. Otherwise, uh, if he can cut his interceptions in half, then we're, we're looking at a damn high ceiling for for that quarterback, especially if if we're not leaning on him too much within the running game.
1: Yeah,
0: um, he is more of a now he's not a pocket passer, but he's not a true dual threat. He's kind of yeah. he he's that pocket guy with some wiggle
1: exactly what he is where Jason doesn't have quite the wiggle but jason's six three two thirty so you kind of uh you you it's one of those things where you know jason probably can take some hits especially playing four games down at south carolina playing more essentially he played better competition he played clemson he played auburn he played florida he saw better competition and more athletes than Grant Wells did. But don't get me wrong, Grant Wells, you know, he was the CUSA freshman of the year back in 2020. Um, and his career numbers are really insane to only have played two years, over 5,600 yards, over 30 touchdowns. You said it perfectly. He does have to clean the interceptions up and the turnovers in general. He's also fumbled the ball a lot. But he has – they both have arms, Right. Both of their arms are better than Braxton's. Are they the athlete? No, they're not. <clears throat> but that's okay in what we're probably projecting, what we're going to be doing on offense. Um, the way I kind of see it right now is just because Jason Brown has played the level of competition he's going to see week in and week out here at Tech next year, I think he's in the lead. I also think he's in the lead. He has one year of eligibility left, one year. Grant Wells is, he just completed his third freshman year, Brian. Yeah. That's impressive. It takes a lot of skill to do that. So he has essentially three seasons left of eligibility after this year. And you have Taj Bullock, and I'm going to go ahead and throw Taj in there. Taj has four seasons left of eligibility. So from where we were looking at, oh my God, how are we going to figure this out? You've got your one year gap guy, and then you've got a guy who's played solid backup, and then you've got the project. So that room went from shit to this isn't terrible. And our backup quarterback situation is a 100 times better than what it was last year at this point in time.
0: Yeah, we actually have – regardless of who ends up winning the job, uh, you at least have one guy behind that person that you know can – Go in a game and get you get you a win or two. Um, if if the starter has to miss significant time, um, that you know you won't see a significant drop off like we saw this year, where you had to pretty much improvise an offense around the limitations of your backup versus essentially playing playing your offense with a tweak here or there. Um uh, yeah. you know it, it's the difference between calling certain plays that you know that guy's, it's 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 their bread and butter versus having to tailor the entire offense around what that guy does well. Exactly. With Connor Blumrick got- in the game, you had to tailor the entire offense around power quarterback runs, play action passes, things like that. There, there wasn't a whole lot of rhythm. None. In that offense with Connor at quarterback. And, and that's not Connor's fault. He was put in a situation where he was the best available option which is unfortunate um but that's just that's how things shook out between Knox's injury between Knox uh leaving between Knox's limitation between Braxton's injury Braxton's limitation Braxton into the transfer portal uh 2021 was as bad of a quarterback situation as we've seen probably ever um, at least since the uh I'm trying to even think of when <laughs> when it was worse. <laughs> can I tell you the only other time it was really this bad? Brewer Motley, maybe?
1: I mean Molly could play. I mean Molly beat Purdue. Molly can at least throw the ball. He can make all the throws. Can I say and, and this is no disrespect, but um twenty years ago when Vic went down? Yeah. No disrespect. But we didn't have, essentially, a backup quarterback behind Michael Vick. The
0: front end was much higher.
1: (laughs) Oh, just a little bit. But, you know, even in the years with, like, Dornan and Tyrod, you felt good. Maybe Tyrod – no, Tyrod with Logan because a couple times Logan had to come in and he made good passes. So probably 20 years ago is probably the last time it was as bad as it was last year because there was no one behind the number one guy.
0: Yeah, I was thinking Um, maybe – I was thinking, like, front-end quarterback that has limitations, backup quarterback that is even a drop-off from that. That's why I went with the Brewer-Motley
1: thing. Yeah, but at least they – I mean, you, you felt like they could play. So, uh, who knows, man. All right, Brian, w- w- the other position we've talked about, um, and we know two big offers and things are very interesting, the wide receiver room, Jaden Blue got a temple. Look up his numbers. Very good wide receiver has shown he can do it against uh P5 competition and Antoine Wells from up the JMU Highland Springs product. Um
0: Wells is getting a bunch of buzz from a lot of schools everywhere. Yeah, so uh everywhere. you know, if we if we end up pulling that that's a that's a big pull. Um I'm not necessarily putting it in the bank especially since we don't have a, a wide receiver coach yet, but I'll say this. Now that we've got a, got quarterbacks, it's going to be a lot easier to start talking to wide receivers. Because up, be up until this point, it's hard to say, all right, come here. But we got Connor Blumrick throwing balls, and we got a red shirt freshman that saw a handful of series in a bowl game, and that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you got – Two quarterbacks that have seen a good amount of time at, at various schools. You got something that you can sell now. You got you something you can sell guy. to the wide receivers.
1: Well, and for guys like Wells, I think Blue might have two years of eligibility left. I think we'll have to go back and look. But a guy like Wells, it's like, you're not going to be screwed next year. Look at our plan. He's a freshman. You have – if you're going to be here three years – you're going to have a good quarterback at all points in time. And, you know, you have the kid from Hawaii who went in the portal. The Wyoming kid who who blew up this year is in the portal. So, you know, it, it's now something you can sell of what you've got. Can I say something else, Brian? This dropped before, after you built that rundown here, we made an offer to Ryan Johnson, a DN out of Stanford. Yep. This afternoon. Um, and, and again, there's your DL and that's pretty big that, again, we're starting to make those offers, trying to kind of see what Brent Pry wants to do. Um, nobody's additionally left in the last few days, but we did have a confirmation. And I know this makes you feel good. Maybe not as good as Joe Rudolph, but really good. Silas Dancy says he's coming back for his super senior season.
0: Yep. That, that's big for us because that gives us three returning offensive linemen with some significant playing time um, and, <clears throat> between him and Caden Moore and then Parker Clements. Yeah. So getting those three, um, that at least gives you some foundation to lean on. We're probably still going to target at least one or two offensive linemen in the portal. True. But we got some younger guys that are coming in. We got some guys that have been in the uh, – in the program for a few years, that might be able to step into that role. Uh, thinking of a Jesse Hanson. <laughs> Shout out Matt Neal. <laughs> oh jeez,
1: man, I'm sorry you got drugged, dude. It was it was kind of funny, um, but yeah. But, but I think Silas coming back too is now you feel like Silas has played both tackle and guard. He's played a lot of tackle more than a lot of people think but he's really built for, to be a guard. It's one of those things where you've got, you feel like right, I got two or three, two of three inside is figured out. Clement probably can play. I'm going to guess he's going to be it. right. I think we'll probably go after a left in the portal and the centers wide open, which is a little scary. I wish Johnny or Brock had come back for one more season, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, So, you know, you sit here and it's just we have three guys who all have played significant time. We have a really good offensive line coach coming in. You have guys you can sell in the portal. You have guys who are already on the roster who maybe Rudolph unlocks the potential in them. So, all in all, not in a bad spot on the offensive line. I think me and you are worried, like, if Silas leaves, you your your best two starters are freshmen. And that's scary.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um it's going to be interesting to see if they if who they specifically target in the portal, if they target anyone and how much progression we see in development that we see in the spring. Like if we see some jumps from guys in the spring that we weren't anticipating, I think that's, that's a really good sign. Um, you know, if, if we can find maybe two other guys. And again, you, you talked about Silas at guard, you know, Silas is going to play whichever position we need him to play the most. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that's left tackle or whether that's guard, probably left guard. So he's either sliding in for LaCita Smith or he's going to, Take over for Luke Tenuta. Um yeah. What that looks like is gonna is, is the big question. Who plays center is is a, probably a bigger question. Um, I could see us targeting a center in the portal more than I could see us targeting other positions. Just because that's the most need position that we probably don't really have an established season player on the roster it's true. It's so true. if we if we end up targeting a player in the portal and we only we're only taking one I I'd, I'd like to see us take a center and potentially a left tackle. There's not going to be a ton of left tackles out there in the portal, oh. but that that's where I would go, but I'd go center before left tackle cuz I think Silas could potentially hold it down for one season.
1: All right, I hear that, man. I hear that. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to see where guys are transferring out of, where guys are transferring into, um, and, uh, and and again, it's development up front too, or, or not up front, but a development of who's there. Yeah. Because again, that's going to tell a lot. If if you don't see us attacking the portal for offensive linemen a lot, we can then speculate. We really can speculate for the next three and a half months. Who does Joe Rudolph like? And who's where on the spring game? Who's out there on that first unit?
0: All right. Yeah. And the question is going to be, you know, right now we're seeing guys that are making moves in the portal right now want to get, on the spring semester with their new team, they want to get spring practice under the belt. There's going to be a bunch of guys that aren't sure where they're going, haven't got enough bites yet where they feel comfortable pulling the trigger. They're going to ride out the spring and and be ready for for summer. Um, Exactly. Which helps them and hurts them in some ways. So it helps them because they get to process the transfer portal offers and make a better decision for themselves. It's not. It's not as rust of a, of a situation there. But
1: they're, they're foregoing they're
0: all, the they're foregoing the chance to get that spring ball get get their position um, locked in heading into fall camp. They, they instead of having to go into fall camp where they got to earn it.
1: It's true, but the other piece is with spring ball. And for example, let's say we don't come out and we don't have a starting center. We don't have another starting tackle or guard. You go put your name in the portal, then look at his tape. He started for two seasons. He ain't all American, but we, we just looked at spring and what we saw, and it will not great. So let's go get someone who on tape we have. So, yeah. All right, Brian, before we get into wrapping up the bowl and taking up looking at a few other topics, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we
0: take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
1: All right. So the Pinstripe Bowl, wrap, Brian. Um, let's start this. Even though we are not Yankees fans by any stretch of the imagination, nope, any stretch of the imagination. The helmets that they did were cool as hell.
0: Yeah, some of the, some of the coolest helmets that we've seen in terms of alternate logos and things like that. Getting the uh, the Yankee NY on there um, that was pretty cool to see. Um, you know, harkens back to, uh, when the Yankees came down to Blacksburg, uh, wearing the maroon and orange. So that was, that was really kind of big. Um, probably one of the better, like I said, better alternate design helmets that we've had. Yeah. Um, so shout out to, uh, to, 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 the, the folks behind that team, uh, Clark and everybody else. So
1: yeah, big shout out, whoever designed it, it looked great. Um, I'm, I am sure if one of those ever sneaks out of buildings, that thing is going to fetch a lot of money because they said they were not going to auction them off or sell them. So that tells me that they're going to people, whatever. All right. Well, let's talk about the game itself, Brian. It was an ugly game, really ugly. Hokies lose 54 to 10. And Brian, I want to go through our game plan and let's see what, how many X's we give. First okay. of all, we talked about, we had to field a team.
0: Barely. We, we, were, we, 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 did clear, we cleared that bar barely
1: guys like Dwayne Lofton didn't play several other guys didn't play. Um, and I think that was nobody, I heard nobody got sent home. We, we were thinner
0: team. than we thought we were going to be. And we already knew we
1: were going to be thin. Yep. We had starting offensive tackles playing defensive tackle near the end of the game. Um, and, and, you know, With all the opt outs we had, you know, in the time of COVID, where it was right before all the new guidelines came down, we were super thin. And, you know, it it showed in the game plan. And speaking of the game plan, one of our big game plans, Brian, was we said, hey, we need to control the clock. We got to control the clock in this game. And, you know, We kind of did it, Brian. You know, we we outpossessed them 34 to 26. There's a reason
0: we did that, though.
1: There is, but it was one of our keys, and we did it. But the reason we did it is because we could not limit big passing plays or just big plays in general the entire game on defense.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the last two points we talked about for our defense was "Ben, don't break and limit the big passing plays. Uh, we broke a lot and a lot of those were big passing plays deep down the field for touchdowns um, and
1: 70 plus yard runs, multiple receptions over 25 yards, multiple runs over 20 yards. Punt returns of 90-plus yards. Yep. Yeah. Um. And I think what kind of – me and you were talking about the bend-don't-break and limiting those big passing plays. You said straight up, Brian, like we need to run covered three or quarters the whole game. I saw a lot of man. I saw a lot of single highs. My eye. Did you see that, or is it just me not knowing what I'm looking at? There was some of
0: that. Some of Some of it was – cover three that because of their alignment became de facto single high um, based on the routes that were ran and the alignment of the wide receivers. Um, Some of it was just bad technique. Um, Some of it was just perfect play call against bad defense call or the the, the defensive call that time. And some of it was just sloppy play. Um, And you get that when you have guys that are playing more snaps than they're used to. But to me... The offense, I give a little bit of a mulligan. Um, The players, the players, the the defense, the defense, I don't, I don't give them a whole lot of a pass here. I feel like there were enough guys that had played significant snaps on the defense that they should have had more life than they had. If they had given up 38 points, maybe 38 or less, I'd be like, all right, well, that's not a bad effort considering, the thinness uh, in, in losing a couple frontline players what i mean it, it's the extra two or three touchdowns there that really makes the difference um in in, in what was a re, would have been a respectable outcome versus the clown show that we saw now on offense the thing that i've got a criticism for is the thing i've criticized the whole year the the play three caller years. the play caller three. yeah 3 years, 4 actually, 5 years three. yeah uh and and my big thing is that yeah you started Connor but th- this was not a empty the clip uh throw everything but the kitchen sink at Ooh. Maryland this this was a we do, borderline, we do borderline conservative do what we do the same offense that we saw uh rolled out against you know Miami and UVA we saw rolled out against uh Maryland and yeah. there there wasn't any significant wrinkles added in there to give any sort of new look. Um, There wasn't as much of an emphasis on the running game, I feel, as there should have been uh, in terms of getting the ball to the running backs. Um, And I thought there was some opportunity to get the short passing game involved, which we haven't done all year and we didn't do
1: again. Didn't do again. Yeah, it, it it was same old, same old. And for a guy who potentially was coaching for his job, there were no tricks there were no interesting. And I know people were saying, well, look what we've got here. You know, what can we do? Well, that's the thing you look at what you've got. And if you even don't have that much, you still say, well, we're going to dial up some things. We're going to do some different things. We're going to take some risks because you are playing for it's, it's a bowl. You're not playing for a championship. You're just playing a football game. It's the last one of the seasons. And it's like, no, we're just going to do this. We're going to do the same old simple game plans. It's going to work. No trick plays. No, you know, double reverse passes, anything like that. It was literally, I'm just calling these eight plays on a play sheet, and I'm trying to get out of here as quick as I can. And, you know. Uh, yeah, you know yeah
0: I, I say he, he play called his way into a high school job.
1: Ooh. Ooh. um. There was a Jaden Pate sighting, heck of a catch by him on the sideline. Um, Malachi Thomas had, you know, Malachi's a freshman. And I think what we saw those last few weeks was a freshman body hitting the wall like so many times. Um, But, you know, Blumrick did the best he could.
0: And – should have been a quicker hook to Taj, in my opinion. If you, if you weren't going to – if it that's the offense you're going to call, then you should have gotten Taj in there sooner.
1: Every fourth drive it should have been. Every fourth drive he should have been out there running thing, not going in, handing the ball off, and then running off the field. He did finally come on, had a couple passes completed. The yeah. 27 yards, ran the ball a few times. Um, definitely, I, I will say this. Looking at that, was it like the out pass he threw? It was like a fifteen yarder. Am I making that up? No. Nah. That ball had some zip on it, and he threw yeah, it very nice. nice on the back shoulder to uh, who? Uh, Connor, not Connor Blumberg. Um, Luke bustled the walk on. Yep. Very nice looking passes. Yeah, so, and then he,
0: he did have the like what one uh, overthrow on the uh, little dump. Um So, you know, th- there's things to work on, probably, you know, working on a touch a little bit and things like that. But, you know, when he got his read, knew where he wanted what knew what he wanted to do with the football right away and was able to step and make the throw. It looked pretty good. Um, you know, there's still obviously things to polish there, but that's what spring ball's for. That's what fall camp's for. Um, and that's what probably one more year of sitting behind somebody's for. Um,
1: and also, can I say something? Also, he's getting a much better coaching staff now.
0: Yeah, he's him. getting a coaching staff that, honestly, based on his frame and his tools, is more, more, more designed to take advantage of, of the skills that he has. Um, so you know, I think what what we're getting with uh, with Brad Glenn and what what we're getting with uh, with Tyler Bowen and what he likes to do in that system can really work to the, the skill set that a uh, bullock um Bullet. yeah I, I mean I think that's gonna it's gonna play 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 to his, his skill set a little bit more and you know it won't be a one read and run go uh offense anymore no. so
1: not not at all. And um you know the one thing I'll also say Brian I think every player we hit on had for Maryland had a good Game in some way, shape, or fashion. I hate being right, but yeah. we, you know, every every week we sit here, guys, and we 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 sort of we kind of independently look and then decide who we're going to get. Um, and I mean, we hit like obviously the quarterback lit it up. Running back had a nice day. You know, Daryl Jones was not on our radar. Shout out to that kid from the seven five seven having a hell of a day against the uh the Hokies um you know what can you say they played great they had a full staff they had everyone vested um Mikes Loxley is still 26 games under 500 he could win 10 games the next four seasons he still wouldn't break 500 and you know that I, I don't think Mike Loxley and that staff they had they called a great game against a depleted team. And that's all I can say.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's an indication that they're taking another step. I think that's just, you know, they they played a team that was already down numbers and they were down some more and they had an interim head coach and they were starting their essentially third string quarterback that probably should be an H-back. There's a lot of things going on that are playing into that. So, you know, Loxley – and I know Maryland social media had a lot of fun with that, but oh
1: yeah, the pry thing—they had fun with that. Yeah, and they, they, they uh, were they were be- beating
0: they were beating the shit out of their chest for for beating a team that was down like 20, 20 players, 10 players and 10, 10 plus starters. And yeah,
1: they got, and it was good job, like, good job, Maryland. Some of the Penn State folks were then just ripping them, especially about the pry because it was pry on the seventy. 70- yard touchdown and they were like, Yeah, we see what it is. He smacked y'all multiple years in a row. So you're gonna come at it like this. All right. And yeah. we remember I, I think he didn't didn't Stout even say something about it. Yeah, Stout said something. But <laughs> like, just remember 2026. Right? After yep. year are playing them. Just remember that. Mike Loxley
0: right, will not be the head coach of Maryland by the time yeah. we play them though.
1: If he is they are you know they want to be mediocre. Which kind of what they are. All right, Brian, let's hit a few other topics here. Um, the playoff games. Let's talk about the Cotton Bowl first, Bama, Cincinnati. What's your take on that? Just
0: You know, I thought that Cincinnati played pretty well overall, especially on defense. Um, just what you saw with what Bama was able to do on in both sides on the trenches is is where the differentiator was. Yes, it was. um, Once they got a decent lead, they were able to just grind the game out on offense, and they were able to dominate Cincinnati up front with their defensive line and their front seven.
1: Can can I ask this? And it's something, you know, our buddy Dwight Vick kept talking about. He said he loves to run those three-man. He loved to play against three-man fronts. Were you shocked that Fickle and that defensive staff didn't adjust? Because my thought was, could you take one of those outside linebackers in that three three five stack and almost make them like at a nine or an eight, and shift shift everybody to different gaps? They never did it.
0: No, and in, I think in, if if you still had Marcus Freeman, you would have. Okay,
1: <laughs> because
0: he was he was known that despite the 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 base alignment, he would throw different fronts at you, especially if he saw problems that were going on. Um, so I think if you still had Marcus there, you, you would have probably seen that adjustment. Um, that's not I'm not I'm not trying to knock here, but I think just the the feel of it and the flow of it, I would have probably gotten more guys on the line of scrimmage and taken my chances that we'd be able to get them before
1: they got past the second level. All right. Um, I also think that Saban is what he is. Um, he had a month to prepare. He saw how good those cornerbacks were. He was without Michi, his best wide receiver. He wasn't going to challenge them that much. He wasn't going to go out there and say, I'm going to just sling around all day. No, we're going to run the ball. We have more Joes than they have. We're just going to grind them down. Now, the Orange Bowl, I mean, I hate to say this. Georgia just used the game plan they should have used Monday. They've laid the game plan out to show Alabama – Hey, here's how we can beat you guys quick short passes, little running game, then taking shots over the top
0: occasionally. Well, what does the quick short pass do? I mean, so, so Michigan, if, if you're talking about the defense. Anderson. So, Will
1: Anderson, negates Will exactly. Anderson. Exactly.
0: You, you, can't, you can't impact the quarterback if the ball's
1: not in the quarterback's hands anymore. Damn right. And you saw it. I mean, Hutchinson, I mean, that guy's going to be a stud NFL player. Don't get me wrong. He is. Um, but to me, Kirby Smart, again, they had that month to prepare. He knew what he had to do. But he laid the game plan that's going to beat Alabama. He gave Nick Saban a week to say, oh, you're going to do this. Watch for a lot of press in that game. Watch for a lot of get your hands over here. Don't come up because he's trying to get them out here. Where they did, if they ran their normal offense, they would have beat Michigan. It would not have been a blowout. But they would have beat Michigan, and I don't. I don't get that. Maybe that's one of those things where they thought, well, if they're hitting some of those trick plays and some of those end-arounds, and they get to the mid twenties, we've we've got to score. It shows yeah. pretty early. They I,
0: I don't think they. Yeah, I don't think they thought that Michigan. I think they thought Michigan was going to be able to score more, so they mm-hmm. thought they had to match them point for point. So. Ultimately, because they were able to get them out of their game a little bit early, they were able to feast on them in the way that that defense likes to. Yes. So once once they got the lead, it really played into that defense's strengths, um, which exactly. is the opposite of what happened um, in the uh, the Bama Georgia game in the yep. SEC championship. So, um, yeah, I think that I think that's the big thing. And Georgia's going to need to do. That again, they're gonna need to. In my opinion, if they're gonna win that game, they need a lead late second quarter. Something to keep to keep that game slowed down. Um, get Bama a little bit out of their game plan. Um, because Bama's gonna Bama's, I think again is gonna want to run the
1: football. Um, well, to... they're gonna run the football, but they're gonna they're gonna throw it like they did in that first game. What Bama did is Bama's got the blueprint. The question is, can Kirby adjust enough to take away that without out, without exposing other parts of his game? Which Saban's the chess master. Because if he see uh, – I, I think Kirby's going to do this. He's going to have the game plan already laid out of what him and Bob are going to do. All right, can we just say this, Brian? What we're talking about now – is why twelve is a better format. We're talking yep. about we have so much time to prepare, so much time to get ready. Saban's got Saban and Kirby Smart both have thousands of analysts. They really don't have thousands, but they have a lot of staff. Where if you go when when it goes to twelve, and I truly believe it's going to go to twelve before twenty twenty five, you're not going to have that time anymore because on the 12 model you're going to have probably 2 weeks, right? 2 weeks is going to be the longest span you have, mm-hmm. 2 full weeks. 2 full weeks. And in that case, I know somebody says, "Well, that's a lot of time to break things down." It's a lot of time to break the things down, but what it's not a lot of time to do is to implement the game plan, right? Yep. Usually
0: you can't my, my... do you can't do a week of breakdown, a week of installation and then 2 weeks of practice.
1: Yeah. And, and that's why I still think going to the 12 model, which we're going to get probably sometime into the spring when we have one of these weeks. I, 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 Brian, what were you doing the day I sent you like 19 texts, like this long each? You phone or something?
0: I'm trying to remember.
1: Cause you come back to me and you're like, hey, dude, everything okay? Like, oh, sorry. Because you're like, I'm doing something. I'm like, oh, shit. Sorry, Brian.
0: Yeah, I forget what I was doing
1: he was doing something and i and i and i i sent him a ton of texts about the the way 12 has to break down and we'll do that later but that whole having not having as much time is where it's going to give the lesser teams an advantage because when you give Nick Saban or Kirby Smart all that time to break it down, implement it, run practices implementing it that's why they win. That's why they're so damn good. Um Let's hit this other hot topic, Brian, because it's it's it, it was so hot over the past real 10 days, the bowl opt-outs. What's your feel on this as a guy who plays?
0: Oh, man. Um, I've said a lot about this uh, on Twitter, off Twitter, around Twitter. Um, <laughs> so anybody that's seen what I've said probably either already knows what I'm going to say and hates it or loves it, but to me – I think the, the problem that we have is that we wrap the bowls in with the current playoff format and then say, these bowls that used to matter no longer matter. Okay, yeah, because you, you, you wrap them into the same package that you have with this college football playoff. But obviously the playoff games matter more. They mean more. And when you had a scenario before with the BCS, you had two teams more or less that we're playing for it all but new year six still mattered to a degree it matters less now with the with the current format in my opinion if you're not in the if you're not in those college football playoff games the new year six game mattered less in terms of prestige in terms of players wanting to go there and and the opt-outs are the opt-outs i I support the opt outs. I'm not anti opt out. I personally wouldn't be a person opting out of these games. That's because that's, I'm an experienced guy. If I've got a chance to experience something, I'm going to take advantage of that. Um, I didn't get seriously injured enough in my career where I would have been had that in the back of my mind. Um, I had one, I had one serious injury and a couple injuries that kept me out of game or two. Um, I was never injured to the point where I was missing, you know, ten plus games or anything like that. Um, I had lingering injuries that cost me things and pro- probably limited my overall ability, but I never had anything catastrophic that kept me from playing games. Uh, except for one, like again, one injury that that I talked the about end. there, yeah, your ankle, yeah. Your ankle.
1: And yeah. that was near the that was, that was the half end of the that was halfway through the yeah. next
0: to last game of the season, my senior year. So, yeah. So, years, so. Yeah, um, so I, I missed a game and a half for that. I missed an entire off season recovering. Um, so really, when I rolled into my freshman year at Hampton Sydney, I was pretty much not in the shape yeah. I'd like to be. Um,
1: well, you were in a boot forever.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> but that, that's neither here nor there. But I, I, yeah. when it, when it comes to bowls. Um, you know, that's something just the experience of it would, would be a big deal for me. But if, 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 you know, if, if my bank is, is dependent on that and my family is dependent on, you know, me doing something, and even guys that are, are kind of that fringe, uh, draft player that are opting out, hoping to just make a, a, uh, a, a camp, uh, yeah. as an undrafted free agent. I mean, you're not going to do that if you get injured. And I know, you know, we can talk about, um, you know, one catastrophic injury in the bowls being a big deal. Don't need to mention it. Yeah. Um, so.
1: What's oh, yeah. game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- there's always the chance of that happening. Um, but, and I get that people say, well, if, if that's going to happen, I want to be playing for something. Um, Again, this this is why I go towards the twelve team playoff because you can, you can get more of those those formatted games in there, and they mean
1: something. Yeah, they, they mean, they mean something. something.
0: More games mean something that that's going to limit the opt outs. Um, so that'll help your your school's roster, your school's ability to, to be competitive in those games. Um, and you know, again, I'm I'm not for getting rid of the bowl format altogether, Mm-mm. but. I think we need to stop kidding ourselves that you know bowl bowl games matter if if you want to attend them. I don't think they matter outside of that. I don't think no. you necessarily owe your team a exhibition game if you have bigger things in mind for your future.
1: Exactly. That that's that's my feeling. Like you can sit here and you can say, "Um, well, I would play. I would play." If you knew you were guaranteed a eight-figure paycheck, you you would think, not think, you say you wouldn't think twice bullshit. If you're guaranteed an eight-figure paycheck, well, if I get injured, I'm going to still get drafted. What you just said, an eight-figure paycheck or get into a camp. It, it, it makes sense. Now, what could be done to entice these kids? We have name, image, and likeness now if you're one of those bowl games and you really want one of those kids to play, shell out some money for them. You can do it. You can make them a, they can be in a commercial for your company. Here's a million dollars. Come play for us. Then you'd have the kids thinking about things and to your point too. I think the way the new year six is going to go and the way it's kind of shaping is those bowls are going to be involved before new year's day. They just are they are. And then the, those bowls will matter. And, in, and in that regards, if they're being played earlier, the other bowls are still going to start getting more primetime spots, you know, more, more prestige. So you still have a chance to go out there and play um, any kid that opts out. I'm not upset. You know, you know what, have somebody on the team that teaches these kids how to understand to get those insurance policies. Yep. Like we want you to play. The cat is in the room with you, by the way. It just it just jumped on the table. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> I saw a tail. I'm like, what the hell? Um, What's up, Luna? How's it going? But um, have someone to educate. Like, you know, I, I really don't want to play in this. I want to play in this game, but I'm you know I don't want anything to happen. I'm going to get drafted in the first round. All right, cool. Bring this guy in, hey, you can look at taking an insurance policy and if something catastrophic happens to you, you have a policy that covers you. Up to whatever. I think the Jadavion Clowney was like five million dollars, which life changing money. He's clearly made a lot more. So it is what it is. Um well, it's
0: life changing money, even if you know, that that's your ceiling. Um yeah. it's it's absolutely, you know, if if you if you're not if you don't have to use it then you know, that's all the better, especially if you're a high caliber player, because you're probably making that you know first round picks are making that in their, their first year in the league, more or less, between incentives and, and rookie deals.
1: Exactly. All right, Brian, let's let's touch on one other thing real quick. The passing of John Madden. Um for kids like us, I think our generation is Madden encompasses everything. Yeah because, and and, I, and this is why I'll say this, we didn't see him coach, but we knew he was a coach, and we knew he was a really good coach. Then he became the voice of the NFL for us. Yeah. And then when we were, you know, late elementary school, early middle school, Madden comes out. And, you know, it, it was everything. He was it, all parts of our life.
0: It literally changed the game of football um, did. in terms of how, how we think about it. Uh, everything that we do with fantasy football now is a, a, in a lot of ways tied to Madden and some of the uh, the, 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 the redraft formats that they had in some of the yes. Madden dynasties and things like yeah. that. So, I mean, a lot of these things are tied into that. Um, Can I ask you a question?
1: Yep. Yeah. What's the first one you remember? What's the first one in your head when you when you think Madden? What was the first one you remember playing? The first one I played a lot was ninety four. I played ninety five a lot. I think that's year I also got my Sega too, so yeah. it made sense. Um, but what's your favorite?
0: Favorite? Oh man, um, that's tougher. Probably I can't remember the year, but it was the second one that was on the PS two. Because the, the, the first one, there was still a lot of bugs with the, because it, it was the one with the first true, wow. I was think it was, is,
1: no, hang on, I got, F- everything. Three?
0: Let's see, I think it was,
1: either 03 or 04?
0: I think it was 03.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Yeah, actually 2002.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Okay. Yeah, 01 was the first one that was on, on PS2. Senior oh.
1: year in high school then, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's the one I'll go with. Um, I mean, there's been others that had more features and better features, but I feel like that was the first one that kind of made it more of a true football simulation versus... You know, yeah some of the less graphically capable games in the uh in the sega uh generation and p s one generation
1: and the p s one generation i'm i'm o six i'm o six yes I don't use the vision thing I always took off the vision thing but every other thing it felt like you were truly running the franchise the draft and stuff had been there the practices had been there but when you could do the practices midweek with plays. And, like, if you ran those plays enough, it would, like, make you better during the game. That was always mine. But the guy himself was an incredible football coach. Um, and, again, that's why I said our generation, when we were 10 or 12 and you start hearing John Madden, the 1970s weren't that far off. It was like that was only 20 years ago. You start reading, holy God, he won 100 games. He won a Super Bowl. He coached all these, you know, Hall of Fame players.
0: And what he, and he's still he's still the uh, the king of win
1: percentage, right? Seven. He won seventy five percent of his games. That's un. I mean, and I don't think that'll ever be touched because of going to more games. But then watching him, you know, as a Niners fan in the nineties, he called so many of our big games. Yeah. And, and I mean, you got to get him later with with Peyton, but you knew, especially in the mid nineties. Mid nineties. If it was him and Summerall calling your game, you were the game of the week.
0: It was a big ass game.
1: It was a big game, um, and I always like what somebody said because some people said he was bombastic and over the top, and he was silly with the drawings. He brought football to where someone like myself, who didn't play, understand it.
0: He he was and able to easily was- break down. The nuts and bolts and then give it to you like he, he he essentially so he he took the ingredients and then he gave you a dish yeah like i i can take the ingredients and see the dish but you might not see the dish looking at those ingredients but once he breaks it down in, in, into the meal and gives it to you on the plate yeah you, know, you can digest it so um he did that so well and i think you know, just an infectious personality. Um, you know, you can call it bombastic if you want to. Um,
1: infectious is a know. better word. Much, yeah. Just you just felt like he you felt like if you sat and talked to him, like he he would explain it to you. And I don't know if you heard this story. Did you know he used to teach a a like an entry level class, like an entry to football? Well, I think I that he taught it at Cal. Yeah. He taught it at Cal and and someone said that's why he became so good at being able to what you just said, convey it to just anybody, because in that class, he'd be getting into the nuts and the bolts and getting hard and he would see deer and they were like he would see the deer in the headlight looked and he'd pull it back. So essentially every year he had someone to go to, but. You know, it's an icon lost. It was literally days after the All Madden documentary, which I have not watched, but I heard is pretty cool.
0: I did. I watched yeah. it on uh, the day it came Christmas
1: out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Christmas Day,
0: nice. I, I was sitting there with my father-in-law. Um, <laughs>
1: Very nice.
0: Yeah, in the living room watching that. Um, kind of just wrapping up a uh, a nice Christmas day. Um, and I mean, I know, I know when they were talking about the making of it, you know, that. You know, his family told him just the sections that he was he was interviewed. It was just going to kind of be a, a, a little small thing, and then obviously they brought in, you know, these all time guys and guys that he spent a bunch of time with and folks that he was on the road with, um, with his crew. Um, you know, and, and it turned into to the the documentary that it was, um, and I think that you know him living to 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 see that I think was really really great. really big for him. So it was
1: it was really great. So, rest in peace, John Madden. Now, Brian, let's go look at the bowl pickums. Um, I'm still trying to figure this out. We ended with the same number of total wins predicted. You have more losses. I still don't figure that out. That's the whole all of Saturday pickums. Brian wins bowl pickums, though. I take on the regular season. Brian takes on the bowl season. If you would have went with Brian, 21 and 14, you would have made some people some money. I ended up 17 and 18. I still don't know how the way I started, like winning like winning one game out of the first eight. But uh, real good bowl season, a lot of really fun games, especially the games don't matter. But New Year's Day, those three games on New Year's Day, man, the uh, the – the Fiesta, the Outback, and the Citrus were probably three of the best games of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And and then the Rose just unbelievable. I mean you know it's why you need it's why you need talented guys. Scheme's great and Utah played their nuts off that game. But you saw that talent in the end, you know. With you know, especially Jackson Smith Najaba, holy shit! I mean, that kid went three hundred plus yards, lit it up, made a name for himself. Uh, definitely a first round talent, probably coming out next year. So you know, great bowl season. And uh, there's there's one more, Brian. Just a we few got, days from that. we got one more man, the national championship game, and we'll do our picks on it. I will watch it. That's just the love. I know some people were saying not going to watch. It's just an SEC thing. Bama, Georgia, in Indy, Georgia, the favorite, laying three points. Brian, what do you say on this one?
0: Um, I'm taking Georgia. I think the money the line
1: and spread
0: money line and spread. <clears throat> okay. I think All it's right. a, I think it's a, it's a tight one. That's like a four point win for, uh, for Georgia late touchdown, retake the lead. Okay. And uh Bama can't get it down the field in enough time. So Got I'm going to go Georgia. I think them seeing what, bama did in the sec championship game is the difference i think this is kind of an inverse of the uh previous sec national championship uh where a matchup was played earlier um and you know the 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 victories were swapped i think this is another situation where the victories are going to be swapped um so i think that georgia takes it here all right
1: um I'm not going to bet against Saban. I don't know if they'll win, but I'll take Cameron in the points. Um, yeah, my thought is Smart has to eventually get a win here. Yeah, eventually, right. But I just, again, if Georgia had won, I think if Georgia had won the Michigan game closer and not shown a lot of cards, I think I might be leaning Georgia, but that that worries me. You, you can't show that much to Nick Saban unless you've got something really schemed up deep, um, Todd Munkin, for for Saban and that offense because they've shown they can crack the armor of what seemed to be an impenetrable defense already. So I just want a good game. Yeah. And last year we got a crummy game. The year before that we got a crummy game. The year before that we got a crummy game. We haven't had a really a good national championship game in almost four years. Yeah. So, I just want a good, competitive, fun game to watch. Um, I mentioned it earlier, Brian. Both of our pro teams win. You're in, right? Yep. Y'all win. Y'all are definitely in. We win. We're in. Um, if we lose, we'll
0: need some help. If we win, we're in regardless.
1: Yeah. We could have well, closed
0: it out last week, but uh we we played down to a to a lesser competition like we've done and we lost another you know one score game.
1: Yeah. Well we we beat up the Texans with the rookie quarterback, and now the discussion is do you start the rookie against the Rams or do we start Jimmy against the Rams? I don't know. Don't care. If 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 the Saints beat or lose to Atlanta, we're in regardless. Um, and I'm trying to look up when that game is. Hold on a second. Efforting. Efforting here. Efforting. Yeah, Efforting. all we
0: have to do is beat the Jags, who don't have a head coach. And have no, I haven't won
1: there. Y'all haven't won there in seven years. Y'all got to get a monkey off y'all's back. Yeah. <laughs> seven years, Brian. Uh, let's see
0: which is well, wild to me because we never lost there for so
1: long. Forever. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Saints game is, of course, going to take place the same time as our game at 425. Um, so, you know. You got to play really your nuts care. off regardless. We got to play. I mean, this is why they've set this up like this. And uh, the funny part is you heard what could happen, right? What's that? Um, if y'all lose – or if y'all was it y'all if y'all lose the Chargers and or if y'all win, the Chargers and Raiders like could should play to a tie or something funky like that. I, I'm where, not sure. Where if you hold on, let me pull up the standings here. It was like if so if y'all lose the rate y'all would be nine and eight. Oh if yeah, they, they should play to a tie with, so
0: they have one less uh loss.
1: They have, they're 9-7-1, and one, which percentages take them above y'all. Yep. Which would be crappy. But then the Steelers could make it in, two doing that. So it's kind of funny. But it is what it is. Let's just Brian, win so it, we
0: don't have to worry about any of these scenarios.
1: That's all I want. I just want to see my team play in January in relevant football. So, you know, is what it is. Brian, has anything broken the last hour and a half since we jumped on here? Uh nothing fun, man. I think we're good. All right. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson.
0: I'm Brian Siegler.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me. Visit our website at boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, subscribe to our YouTube account, or your favorite podcast source. Spotify, Amazon, Apple Podcast. Our buddy Jason Long plays us in, plays him out. Check him on Apple Podcast and Apple and Spotify Music. We thank you for listening, and as always, let's go, Okies. Okay.